Uh, I want to invite you to go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 3. We're going to be concluding chapter 3 today. And uh, by way of introduction, I do just want to mention that uh, I do have my, my parents here today with us. My parents, uh, Amy's parents, Karen's parents, <laughs> to, be, to be clear. Some folks are like, man, I didn't know they were brother and sisters. You're figuring that out for the first time today. It's okay. Um, but we're delighted to have them. And this is the first time they've been with us since May the 3rd, 2015. And uh, they have responsibility at their local church, and we're thankful for that and their opportunities to serve. Uh, but yeah, uh, almost seven years ago, and, and you may recall, that's not only my birthday, it's the first day that I served as the pastor of Cedar View Baptist Church. And so uh, it's been a wonderful seven years. And they're here today uh, basically to express their appreciation for your prayers on her behalf. Uh, my mom has been battling cancer for uh, the past uh, year or so. And, um, and so she just wanted to express her thanksgiving to God for you all by being here today to worship with us. So I do appreciate uh, your prayers. I know they do as well. She continues the battle, but she's doing well. And doesn't she look amazing? I know she doesn't want that kind of attention. But. And my dad's here too. You probably heard him singing. You probably heard him singing. <laughs> uh, they're going to they're gonna get me later. He's going to get me later. No, seriously, let's go to 1 Thessalonians 3. And we are finishing up the chapter, verses 11 through 13. And uh, this really functions as a benediction of sorts. If you know what a benediction is, you are probably thinking, hey, that comes at the end, doesn't it? We're not at the end. But what happens here is he concludes this really long introduction to the letter and gives us a ton of information about his relationship, Paul's relationship with the church at Thessalonica, gives us a ton of information about what has happened. He sent Timothy because he couldn't get there to see them face to face. Timothy came back and brought this good report, which is the foundation of why he wrote this letter. Now, I know if you are like me, you have thoroughly enjoyed these first three chapters and seeing just like the, the nature of their relationship. And I hope in some ways you're like, man, I didn't realize that local church life could be that way. And if you're honest, some of the things we've talked about, about these family relationships, how he and his companions uh, were like a nursing mother to them, like a, an instructive father to them. And then it was like when they were torn away the, the language, you remember, they were torn away like somebody losing a spouse. So all this language about the life of the church, I want to be very clear. This is not like just some cute way that Paul tries to describe relationships. He is describing the depths with which he loves these people and has devoted himself to the service of God in this local church. And I hope that you have sort of internalize that same love for the church, that same care for the church. And all of this really is built on that desire for Paul 
to be sure that this local church is presented fully mature, that they look as much like Christ as they possibly can on that day when he returns. And so today, it sort of functions, this text sort of functions like a preliminary benediction of sorts. Maybe if I asked you to define what a benediction is, I don't know, you'd be as confident maybe as you think or, well, yeah, I know what it is, but I don't know if I can define it. I know what we do, right? As we conclude our service every week, we try to give a word of benediction. It's really, you could say a word of blessing. We sing a song followed by that word of benediction before departing. So that benediction as Paul states here, very, it's very similar. That benediction is a statement of blessing over God's people that really acts like a prayer. It's almost like saying, this is what I'm asking God on your behalf. This is his preliminary benediction. Read with me these verses. Chapter 3, verses 11 through 13. Here the word of the Lord. Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus direct our way to you. And may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all as we do for you. So that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. Pray with me. Father, we, we do ask for your help this morning by the Spirit's presence to understand your word. That we truly would, in abounding love, look more like Jesus, having been together today. Do these things according to the ministry of the Spirit, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. title today is Kingdom Desires. This benediction, this prayer contains Paul's kingdom desires. And I want to pause here just for an application and say a benediction of this sort, a blessing, a statement of blessing is something that you can use in your life. It's not just what the pastor says at the end of the service, but think about how you can incorporate Words of blessing into your homes, your marriages. Think about what it would do for you two at the beginning of a day as you depart for work, dad, or kids as they go to school. Think about what it would do for you if there was a statement of blessing. The Lord bless you and keep you. Think about what that would do for your marriages, your most meaningful friendships, what if you did that in text messages? I was just thinking about you today. May the Lord do this. Phone calls, voicemails. Make use of pronouncing blessings of the people that you love, and I would say especially in the local church, as Paul does here. The theme this morning... Words of blessing align our kingdom desires and expectations with God's work. Words of blessing align our kingdom desires and expectations with God's 
work. Now I want to define a kingdom desire here. We're not talking about earthly or fleshly ambition. We got to get past all the immediate temporal uh, petty stuff. If we're in this position like Paul is, he's been persecuted. These believers have been persecuted. He was cast out of town. We've covered this over and over again. If we were in this position, you know what we'd be asking for? God, would you end the persecution? May God end the persecution. Persecution. May God make our lives easier. May God bless us with favor and material blessing. We don't see any of that in the text. They are suffering in various ways. Paul is kept from them, literally prevented from coming to them. And his prayer, hey, I want you to love each other more. I want to see you face to face. I want you to love each other more so that you're holy when Christ comes. He's asking for that upbuilding, that sanctification, the Christ-likeness, the growth, the steadfastness, the abounding love as he unfolds. He has got kingdom desires. I think it's funny that we would pray for things like God in the persecution when Jesus says, hey, there's going to be persecution. All right, so accept it, move past it, now love each other. <laughs> Beautiful. He's got these kingdom desires, and I think we can look at the text and follow along with him in two desires that we know come from God. Two desires that we know come from God. First off, the desire for active upbuilding. The desire for active upbuilding. You see this in verse 11. He says, now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus direct our way to you. And I don't feel the need to belabor the point here because we've spent so much time in the better part of two whole sermons talking about how important it is to be face-to-face in the presence of one another. And how that is essential to our mutual upbuilding, our mutual maturation as disciples of Jesus. Along the way, as we've talked about this, we've combated those consumer mindsets in the life of the church. And we've said it over and over again. If you're coming ultimately for your own self, then you've missed the point. We're here, number one, for the worship of the one true God. Number two, to sharpen one another. So you ought to see coming to church as that opportunity to shape somebody else more like Jesus. And even in those subtle ways, sing loud by all means. Let people hear it so they are encouraged in their faith, in their worship, in their Christ-likeness. Paul here, being torn away from them, as he's expressed, he felt handcuffed in his ministry to them, restrained from doing the things that he so desperately wanted to do for them. We covered this in previous verses. He says, I want to see you face to face so that I can supply what is lacking in your faith. The letters are fine for the time being, but, but he wants to be there, actively building up this local church. Now his desire is placed in alignment with God's desire here. As he concludes these first three chapters, 
the great detail of their relationship. I want to be there. I want to be there. I've tried and tried again and again. It's not happening. But notice how he aligns himself with God. He doesn't just say, may God do this, but it almost sounds formulaic. There's like a a, a reverence to it in this benediction, isn't there? May our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus direct our way to you. You want those kingdom desires filled? I think Paul models a couple of instructions here. First off, acknowledge who is in control. Acknowledge who is in control. He says it right here. God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus. Acknowledge who is in control. Commentators think that this formula echoes a Jewish formula that Paul adopts and he makes explicitly Christian. See what he does here? He invokes the supremacy of God. He invokes the the fatherhood of God. And then he places the Lord Jesus, the Son, on the same majestic status. By calling him Lord, as Wanamaker reminds us, Paul ascribes sovereignty, full sovereignty to the Lord Jesus. I don't know if you've noticed, but Paul hasn't directly taught anything in these first three chapters. He's not been on a teaching campaign for these whole three chapters. No teaching directly. It's indicative of just how well equipped these young believers were. And in this benediction, he's only reinforcing the things that he already taught explicitly here, the divinity of Jesus Christ. You note, there are two subjects here. God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus. Two subjects, but then the verb here is singular. Hmm. Did Paul just not understand subject-verb agreement? No. No, he's reminding us of the Trinity, folks. The Father and the Son. He, they, this is the Trinity The Father, Son, and Spirit, three persons, one God. No, I can't define that for you very well. But God has revealed himself to us so that we may know that he is one God. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. You know, my one of my children was asking me questions about the Trinity as they do at the most convenient time, right before bed the other day. And I'm like, I'm like, how in the world do you come up with such great questions about the Trinity? And why do you do it right now? You know? I'm just mesmerized at a child's interest in the character of God. As he defines it right here, hey, Jesus is right on par with God. And people in our churches need to hear this because when the Jehovah's Witness comes to your door or when the Mormon calls you or comes to your door, then you need to know that they are preaching a different Jesus. It is not the Jesus of the Bible. We need these reminders, and they were getting hit 
just like we are with all kinds of false doctrine, all kinds of misleading teaching. And so he reminds them through this benediction, one simple line that Jesus is in fact God, the sovereign God. Referring to each one, the Father and the Son, he uses the possessive, our God. Distinguishing the relationship that believers have with the persons of the triune God from the lack of relationship that unbelievers do not have with God. Our God. Our Lord Jesus. If you were watching basketball last night, you may have discovered that the Tigers lost. The Memphis Tigers lost last night. And I've got a friend, i got a friend who's an avid Memphis Tigers fan. The funny thing is, is that he did not go to school at Memphis. He went to school at Ole Miss. And so I'm, I'm honestly a little puzzled why he's such a huge Tigers fan. And so when he's talking about the Tigers, he'll say, we... And then my response, I'm like, man, what are you talking about we? We nothing. I actually went there. You didn't go there. There's a, there's a separation there that I feel like needs to be made, right? I think many need to hear it again. Today, only those who have the salvation that comes by God's grace, grace through faith in Jesus Christ can make this confession themselves. Our God, my God, my Savior, Jesus. And no, this is not Christians being mean or exclusive. We're just willing to say the same thing that we needed to hear before we confessed Jesus Christ as Lord. If you believe and have made that faith a public profession through baptism, Jesus says, you're mine. And he says even more, I'll claim you before the Father. But you know what he says? You know what he says to the one who hasn't? He says, I'll deny you before the Father. For the true believer, there is sweet intimacy in knowing Jesus. We are his and he is ours. So can you, can you say, can you say with confidence, this morning, I am his and he is mine. Our Lord Jesus, there is that special relationship. Paul right here is acknowledging that. He's acknowledging who is in control, and then he asks these things. He states these blessings in full submission. So I would tell you, ask in full submission. We know what Paul's desire is to be there, face-to-face, to minister And his request, according to Martin, is that the Father and the Son would clear the way, direct our way. Literally, it is clear the way. You recall that uh, we talked about in the previous verses, 2.18, Satan had stopped them by erecting a blockade. Now Paul is saying, God, would you just clear the way, remove the obstacles, Paul has done whatever he could to get there, but it doesn't seem to be in the Lord's will. And I could imagine that would be frustrating for Paul. We've heard how much he loves them, how much he desires to be with them. 
You've heard that when he was awaiting the report from Timothy, how he was, he was to the point of depression, directionless in his ministry. And then when he got the word, he was revived again. That's what we talked about these past couple of weeks. So I would ask you, I would ask you, you have this desire and you may even say, man, this is a kingdom desire. Paul just wanted to be there to minister to them. God didn't seem to be letting it happen. So I will ask you, what is that thing that you want to do in the kingdom? What is that thing that you want? Does that desire align with God's desire? And what if that desire is not fulfilled like you want it? You're praying, you're asking, you're trying. What gives? Paul shows us here a submission to the Lord's will. He admits that he's subject to the Lord, submitting to the Lord. This is the attitude that must be our attitude. James teaches us, doesn't he? Says, you want to say, if the Lord wills, we will live. And do this or that. And James says, as it is, you boast in your arrogance. And all such boasting is evil. You know that when you try to rip control of the things from God's hands, the sovereign God, James says, that's evil. It is sin. And I'll be the first to confess, you know when something comes up in my life or the life of the church, I'm thinking steps four, five, six, seven down the road, and I'm trying to immediately make a plan of what needs to happen to get there. And I try to make things happen to accomplish what I want, what my will is. Paul here shows that seeking God's will in a matter When we do this, our methods, our expectations, our ideal timing, even our version of the outcome must always be submitted to him. Furthermore, he might fulfill your kingdom desire. Paul is making this request before God, before these people, about these people. And God just might fulfill that, right? He might fulfill your desire in a way you don't expect, at a time when you don't expect to bring an outcome that you don't expect. In time, God actually fulfilled this desire for Paul. But it didn't just take a few days. It didn't take a few months. Folks, it was several years that had passed before Paul was able to see these believers. And you think, why? Why not, why not let him go earlier? He needed to be, he wanted to be there. They needed him. God had his purposes in this. Paul was submitted to the will of God. He asked these things in full submission. So we have this desire for active upbuilding, must be submitted to God. But then we have another desire here, evident in the text. It is that desire for abounding love. Desire for abounding love, verses 12 and 13. 
It says here, may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all as we do for you so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with, his, with all his saints. The desire for love among the saints and beyond the saints here, this is not a random request. He'll commend their love in chapter 4, verses 9 and 10. But his desire is that for their love that they have already to abound, to have an abounding increase of love here. Really, he lays it at the feet of, as he says, the Lord Jesus. May the Lord do this. As he's just referred to Jesus as Lord in the previous verse, now he moves on from his desire to be actively involved to a better desire. We could read it like this. May God allow me to come and build you up in love, to see you made holy, yet if I'm not able, I ask with full assurance that he'll still build you up in love and make you blameless and holy for the day of Christ. And I think there are three parts to this desire. Three parts to abounding love. First, abounding love comes from Jesus. Abounding love comes from Jesus. May the Lord make you increase and abound in love. And you may be thinking, what about those commands? Like, we hear the commands of Jesus, love one another. Yes, you ought to love one another. It is a command, but don't forget where that love comes from. The relationship is is beautiful. We love. Because he first loved us. 1 John 4, 19. You know, in that verse, there's versions that insert a word to make it make more sense, I guess, to the translators. So it'll read in some versions, we love him because he first loved us. But in the original, it doesn't say him. It just says we love. And so I'm of the opinion that that verse is telling us it is impossible either to love God or one another or anybody in the world without the love that comes from God himself. Every other expression of love is just a faint reflection. Every other attempt at love is just a mirage compared to the love that comes from God. He tells you to love, but you can't truly love without his love. So he gives you his love, and then you can truly love. And I say truly love because we are prone to settle for that mirage. We're prone to settle for that cheap imitation of love, the world's love, the love that gives up. But abounding love? Abounding love comes from Jesus and If you read this church or hear this church and say, oh, yeah, we have love. Thanks, preacher. Move on to the next point. Then you definitely don't have the same kingdom desire that Paul has. This love, this love, the love that comes from God is a love that increases and abounds. You don't max out your potential with this love. It's this love that frees you to serve. It's the love that God gives that is the delivery system, okay, of your spiritual gifts. Love is the gift wrapping of your ministry to one another. 
Love is the balm that makes conflict resolution possible and good. Yeah, good. I know that time you ran away from conflict resolution, but as you've learned and grown, I believe that you know today that that resolution is loving and it is good. Love is the endless supply of the fuel for the church to become what God wants. And it's not $4 a gallon. It freely flows from the redeeming fountain where love was on full display. And don't we sing? See from his head, his hands, his feet, sorrow and love flow mingled down. Did e'er such love and sorrow meet or thorns compose so rich a crown? Friends, King Jesus is the only place to get the love we're talking about today, the love the church needs today, the love that increases and abounds. It comes from Jesus. Abounding love comes from Jesus. Secondly, abounding love works inside out. So many applications that I would love to draw today, but we're not. Abounding love works inside out. You remember what Jesus says. The world will know you by your love for them. Nope. The world will know you by your love for one another. They will know you by your love for one another. So our immediate response, our first responsibility is to show forth the coming kingdom of Christ in our being together now on this earth, saints. We love one another. That's top priority. We love one another with this abounding love. Then all the rest of the folks, all the rest of the folks in the world, They're going to be the ones to get the overflow of our shared love. They'll get that foretaste at that point of what the kingdom is like. They'll know that the church's fellowship truly comes from heaven itself. And more and more as we get a handle on the love inside the church, the local church, then we'll be more and more prepared to love the least of these, to love our enemies. Yes, those who persecuted the church to love the outsider, the foreigner, the sojourner. And this is not a command to get love right inside the church. And then once you've perfected that, then you go out and start loving other people. That's not what we're saying here. No, it's, it's a matter of priority. We do this, which is most important, and we do that, which is secondarily important. Unfortunately, some professing Christians are really good at loving homeless people or the dejected or the marginalized in society, but they can't seem to reciprocate love inside the church. That's backward. That is a problem. Love works inside out. 
It's a love they've seen modeled before them as well. He says, as we do for you, right there in the text. He spent three chapters explaining, unfolding this love. He spent the time with them, which showed them his love, these missionaries' love for the church. It drives them to be among the saints. It keeps them connected when they're torn away from the saints. It shares the burdens, the griefs, the rejoicing with the saints. This love, according to him, should abound more and more. And you get a glimpse of our sermon series title. Abounding love comes from Jesus. Abounding love works inside out. Thirdly, abounding love makes us ready. It says, so that he may establish your hearts. You get this? Abounding in love. So that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. Why love? Why love? Why not theological knowledge? Why not deeper doctrine? Why not a right view of the end times? Oh, you want to be ready? Well, let me tell you about this chart that I just built. No, that's not what Paul does. In fact, he's kind of vague when it comes to the end times. Why? Why love? Why not these other things? Because, as we know from the scriptures, the greatest of these is love, right? Without love, dogmatic views on revelation are exhausting. Y'all been around that person that's exhausting. Some of y'all, if you're going to be honest, you were that person. All you wanted to do was talk about the end times, right? That's exhausting without love. You know, without love, zeal is repulsive. Your zeal for whatever you're talking about, your latest theological hobby horse, it is repulsive. Without love, as the Bible says, you're just noise. Without love, you're noise. So let's be honest. You know, you know, either now or sometime in the past, you got on that hobby horse and you forgot how to love people. You found the one thing that Christians need, in your opinion, and if we just get that right, we'd be set. More evangelism, Pastor. More welcoming, more outreach, more mission trips, more young people, more old people, more of my style of music, pastor, more discipleship, more events. And the list goes on and on. You know, a funny thing is, like, when people want to complain about their church, they just go to some other pastor somewhere. Some other church somewhere. You know how many times I've heard people talk about what their church needs to do? And I'm like, hey hey, don't you think maybe you should talk to them about that? <laughs> and you know, the one thing that they never ask me, man, I'm just concerned because we just don't have abounding love. They never, they never complain about that. There's just not enough love here. We just had more love. Nobody says that because they care about so many other things. We, church, let's be honest, 
we start to care about so many other things and we think we got the we got the silver bullet but you know what paul says it's love it is abounding love you say is it really that simple on the word of god right here in first thessalonians church If we want to be ready for the coming of the Lord Jesus, our highest priority ought to be abounding love. Is that your desire? Is that your desire? Paul assures us, and I wish we could spend a lot more time on this, but Paul assures us That abounding love will, as he says, establish our hearts. That is the deepest part of us. This kind of stability, writes Hebert, does not come from conformity to rules or regulations. Or we could say, your chosen silver bullet. Does your life feel unstable? Your ministry feel unstable? Learn how to abound in love for the saints. Furthermore, he says, abounding love makes us blameless. That is, without fault, in holiness. Hebert adds here, an unloving person cannot be a holy person. You want to be holy, blameless on the day of the Lord Jesus Christ? Abound in love. Abound in love. And we conclude here. I will ask you, are you ready for that day? Christian, it ought to be a cause for great rejoicing that you'll be able to stand in the presence of God the Father, as he says right here, God the Father. He'll judge you as a righteous father according to the merit of his own son, Jesus. Believer, this is you. Jesus is the one who will make us blameless and holy in that day, on that day, that end, because of this abounding love. So Christian, would you plead would you plead with jesus as paul does here to unleash that abounding love in your life for the good of others would you pray that he would unleash that abounding love among the saints unbeliever i will just simply tell you it's a terrifying thing to think about standing before god on your own merit Today, if you realize you're not good enough to earn the favor of God, that eternal favor, repent and believe on Jesus, you'll be counted among the saints, those holy ones. You'll be counted among the children of God. He will be your father. You'll be counted among the church. One day, as Paul begins to unfold in these next couple of chapters, One day, like a thief in the night, the Lord Jesus will crack the sky. He'll be joined by all his saints. Before that day, may we be found in him.
may we be found abounding in his love. By coming to God with these requests, these benedictions, we align ourselves with his work. And his work, ultimately, church, is to make us like Jesus, to make us perfect in the end. Let's long for that day, pray for that day, labor toward that day. Steadfast toward the day of Christ. I'm going to pray. If you'd like to respond, pray with me or uh, need counsel, anything like that, I'll be right down here. Father, we love you. We're thankful for the time, for the word. We're thankful for the way that you call us back to the essentials, the basics of the Christian faith. And we're, you know, we're grateful for the example of Paul who saw these people and wrote letters to these people and missed these people and then could have said a, a number of things about what they ought to be doing. And he calls them back to this love. We pray that this love may abound among us. That the love of Christ, your love, Father, that was displayed at Calvary in the shed blood of Jesus, make this love abound among us to your glory as you prepare us for that coming day. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.